0: Visit bankofamerica.com/slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America NA, copyright 2024. The Economist.
1: In London, this is The Economist, and you're listening to Babbage, a weekly conversation on science and technology. I'm Jason Palmer, science correspondent, and joining me are Tom Standage, our deputy editor, and Oliver Morton, our essays and briefings editor. Today we'll be talking about Google open sourcing what made it great and the rise and rise of drone footage. Tom, let's turn uh, first to you. Uh, I understand that Google has open sourced what it calls TensorFlow. First of all, what's that?
2: TensorFlow is a machine learning system that's uh, that's used in many Google products. So if you use something like Google Photos, which has this uncanny ability to find all pictures of your cat or something like that, or if you use any of their speech recognition products or their translation products or, in fact, now even their search engine, all of them are using TensorFlow as part of the architecture. Tom, um, is that tensor as in the mathematical it ideas is. or
3: tensor as in making me
2: more tense? No, it's actually about the flow of tensors, which is these mathematical... So you've got scalars, you've got vectors... You've got tensors, and you flow them through these artificial neural networks. um, And that is the way that an awful lot of these modern machine language systems work. So it's the framework for building and running neural networks that Google uses in a lot of its products. It could be used in a lot of different ways. It could be used to do pattern recognition. It can be used to do deep learning. It can be used to do reinforcement learning, which is an even cleverer kind of, of learning. And that's what they've open sourced. They've said to the research community here it is, knock yourself out.
1: But it would, on first blush, look like they're just uh, well, giving away the secret sauce. This is this is the thing that gives them the edge that they have, is it not?
2: Well, that's what's interesting about this, because it does look odd. Uh, Google is generally accepted to be several years ahead of its rivals in this. Uh, there are other open source frameworks that do similar things, things like Torch and Cafe. So why is Google doing this? Um, and the answer is it's not giving away everything, is one thing. Uh, TensorFlow is part of its infrastructure, uh, but it, it's only open sourced uh, You know, a, a bunch of tools that run on a single machine. So you wouldn't be able to build a sort of Google rivaling company using this this framework. So far, it's just for single machines. Secondly, it's not the only bit of their infrastructure. They use an awful lot of software tools to do an awful lot of different things. This is just that machine learning engine part of it. Thirdly, they're hoping that by open sourcing it, they can benefit in two ways. The first is that the academic community working on machine learning uh, will improve this. It's open source, and they've released it under the Apache 2 license, which means you can basically do whatever you like with it. But they're hoping that they will benefit benefit from, uh, you know, having a wider range of, of the world's best people, the ones they haven't hired yet, uh, working on this software. They also hope that that will mean that when they do hire them, they'll be able to come straight into Google. They'll already know how to use the, the tools. That's going to be an advantage as well. But the main reason they can afford to do this is that Google's advantage does not simply come from having the best software. It comes from having the biggest training set of data. Because they have all of those search queries, right. they have an archive of the internet, they can train their machine learning systems to do things. Um, because, you know, they've got thousands of people, millions, billions of people doing searches, doing voice requests, et cetera, et cetera. And that's actually where their competitive advantage lies, not in having just the software. Uh, They've also got the advantage that they have these big data centres that they can run this this thing on. So if you wanted to compete with Google, you wouldn't just need this software. You would also need their user base and their hardware, which, of course, no one else has.
3: And you can't run the
2: version of the software that they've open sourced on your own data centre, right? No, at the moment it's single, uh, single Machine only, and uh, so you can do lots of interesting things with it, but you wouldn't be able to build a sort of internet scale. So, am
3: I sort of like buying into? So, would I would I base a small business of my own, or am I a hobbyist who's using this? This Obviously, I'm
2: an academic. I can see why I might want it. No, this is really for for academics, and um, uh, you know, and maybe some startups might you know try and build things around it in the hopes of being acquired by Google. Um, And the the expectation is that they will actually make a uh, a multi-user sort of cloud-based multi-machine version of it uh, available eventually. But at the moment, uh, they are you know, they're minimizing their risk by producing this single machine yeah. version. Are there any lessons that they've taken from their open source experience with Android on this? Android's a bit different because um, Android was open sourced as a defensive move. So essentially, they wanted to make sure nobody that they disliked ended up controlling uh, mobile operating nobody systems. Nobody that they disliked in Cupertino. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or, or indeed anywhere else in, uh, in South Korea or anywhere else. Uh, you know, they wanted to control uh, that. But also they wanted to make sure, it's you know, it's referred to as a, as a moat. It's a defensive moat because it allows them to deliver their services, search and all the rest of it, uh, to lots and lots of people. So they're not making money from that uh, and it's a rather different um, It's a rather different model. I think the, the analogy really, uh, what's What's interesting is that the big internet giants, most strikingly Amazon, Google and Facebook, are all running their entire businesses on open source software and I remember when I covered all of this 15 years ago, you know, there was a serious question about whether open source software was akin to communism and, you know, Microsoft's bosses most famous famously uh, spoke out against it. They said companies were mad to use it because some hacker you'd never heard of could have inserted any old code into it. It's now generally recognised that open source software is actually more secure because you want more people looking at the code. And you've got these three companies running on it. And the reason they can afford to do it, Facebook, like Google, has the massive advantage of its user base and enormous amount of training data. So it can afford to open source a lot of its software or rely on open source software because ultimately its competitive advantage comes from its user base. And in Amazon's case, it runs this massive infrastructure which it makes available to other people to use uh, and it also runs it all on, on open source software and they have the advantage that they have access to the retailers, they have the network there and if you wanted to copy Amazon you could, sure you could rent lots of computing capacity from them and you could use the same open source software that they use to underpin their architecture but you wouldn't be able to build those relationships with, with retailers that they have. So what it's telling you is that for many tech giants their competitive advantage no longer lies like it did with Microsoft say in their software IP it's in their intellectual property Around the software, and therefore they're much, much keener on open source. But this is easily the most striking example because it's Google open sourcing something that's really very, very close to the sort of core engine that made the company great. And the Facebook part of this? Uh, Facebook has open sourced some of the things that it's produced. But again, the crucial thing is that they have this advantage in users um, rather than in in, uh, intellectual property per se.
1: Moving up the 101, then to to San Francisco and to a, a a film festival, not a not a drone festival. I'm noting it's called the Flying Robot International Film Festival, uh, but what what it's really about is is drones. Do you have a? Yeah. No, a feel this on the is words?
3: absolutely this is absolutely a drone film festival. And if you just go to the movies at the moment, you're going to see drone shots all the time. If you watch uh, television, people everyone's basically caught on to the fact that drones are um, a new form of camera that can just be anywhere at any time, and uh, so. All sorts of things that you used to uh, not do because you would need a helicopter for it or not do because you would need a crane for it, you can now do with a drone. And so in all sorts of commercial and broadcast television, you're seeing drone shots coming in. But it's also interesting that the makers of small independent films are also beginning to see some of the possibilities of this, but as yet not necessarily showing off those possibilities their fullest.
1: So it's a gugaw. It's a bit of fun technology and not yet sort of integrated into the art. Or is that what this festival is trying to show us?
3: Well, there are various ways you can look at it. I mean, it's... When people develop new technical ways of doing things in film, they often looks like a gimmick to begin with, uh, like you know things like sound and color, and of course 3D uh, is, is, still is, is it still looks like a gimmick. That one. Right. 3D, so, <laughs> well, for some things still it does, for headache, some things that. it doesn't. Sometimes, and also sometimes the gimmick works, and sometimes it doesn't. There yep. are different ways of. Do, I mean, as people work with these things, they learn different ways of doing it, subtler ways of doing it often, and I think that's what we've got to kind of expect from drones. At the moment, you're using drones to do things you could do otherwise. This is what commercial Hollywood has been. Larger doing, using drones to do
1: things that they could do otherwise, such as helicopter shots and crane shots and just doing them in a new efficient way. Well, and the Indies as well, right? That's, that's the real attraction is they don't need to hire in the helicopter for the day.
3: Absolutely. I'm very interested in the way that you may see drones being used to do other things. Like, for instance, I recently saw a very nice piece of drone art actually in, in Lincolnshire in England in which they would used a drone to do a static panorama standing next to or flying next to a beautiful church spire from which a famous 19th century panorama had been sketched and painted, and they were overlaying the drone shot on the past shot and having the past and present flow through. And, of course, the fascinating thing being that the spire, this was the Spire of Louth, this is a work by a guy called Gary Woods, uh, the Spire of Louth Church is the point of view in the 19th century art, and it's the subject of the 20th century art because the drone can stand next to it. And these sort of abilities to... At the moment, drones are very frenetic in filmmaking, largely. And the idea of drones as places where you can stop and think...
2: That's a very interesting possibility that I think we'll probably see more of. And we have to talk about selfie drones as well, though, because I'm afraid that's how you know the vast majority of drone photography is going to uh, is going to be taking place. It's striking that these industries do seem to be crashing into each other. Uh, DJI, the leading Chinese maker of drones, has just taken a, a stake in Hasselblad, the iconic uh, camera maker. In the other direction, uh, GoPro, which makes cameras, is going to make a drone. It has to because a lot of people are buying its cameras to put on drones. And some of the most amazing drone footage is, of course, footage
3: of extreme sports that are done from a close by following drone. Exactly, so you could
2: buy these drones um, to, to, while you're doing something awesome on a surfboard or, or skiing uh, that just uh, fly along behind you and, uh, and film you looking epic, or flying along in front of you if you prefer. So this is the this is the sort of direction that uh, photography seems to be going in and, and filmmaking is, uh, is use, making use of it too, but it's still quite gimmicky and you know, this is what always happens, that the technology ends up driving the bus and eventually uh, people will figure out the sort of artistic and appropriate use of this. One more thing to say about this is that if uh, you think that the drone is the sort of evolution of the camera hardware, Uh, it's very interesting to see that all of the smarts in these drones are increasingly in the software. So um, people are buying these flying cameras to take pictures of themselves and what they want is an easy to use system so you you can with many of these drones you can make a kind of virtual rail in the sky that you move the drone along and you can tell it to do tracking Proper shots cinematic yes, tracking exactly shots right. so so the way you actually program them is not you know with a with a joystick and say fly up like right, left down you say um, start over there and move along this rail a virtual rail in the sky and that once again it's because the hardware of the drones is increasingly commoditized and the smartness is going into the clever software that makes it easy to to use them to produce great imagery and that's where we're going to see more and more of the, uh, the effort.
3: Can I already get a drone that will follow me so like two meters behind and 50
2: centimeters above my Bluetooth headset and something like that? Yes you can uh, go onto to Kickstarter there's any number of these things uh, I'm sure there'll be uh, lots of people will be getting drones for Christmas and uh, some of them are these follow you along drones and they're getting smaller and smaller as well I mean some of them are designed to be sort of pull them out of your pocket throw them in the air and they they follow you along. And but what about the paparazzi? Uh, yes. Well, it's inevitable that uh, the paparazzi will be flying drones into uh, into people's houses as they get smaller and smaller. And America is uh, you know, particularly behind on making regulations about drones. Uh, the interesting exception is it allowed, uh, issued one sort of emergency license for inspecting oil pipelines. But all of the other emergency licenses have gone to Hollywood studios for filming because they are the most immediate users of this technology. And they want to do this instead of hiring expensive helicopters. So we're going to see more and more drone shots in
1: movies and on TV in the future. No, but really what we're going to see a lot of is better and better drone selfies. We'll (laughs) we'll
2: see see that too. It's only a matter of time.
1: Thank you for that, gentlemen. That's all for this episode. You've been listening to Babbage. For more news on science and technology, visit Economist.com. In London, this is The Economist.
0: The Economist. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business...